Hello and welcome to I Wish I Knew That About Songwriting, the show where we bring you tips, tricks and techniques that we wish we knew as young songwriters. On this show we focus on interviews, we focus on resources, subjects you're going to find useful and you can go home and you can use them today. So thank you so much for listening and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to a very different but nonetheless hopefully useful episode of I Wish I Knew That About Songwriting. Today Callum and I, if you didn't know already because we probably haven't actually talked about it that much, we are diehard, lifelong John Mayer fans. And John Mayer put out his record Sob Rock recently. And I was watching an interview with Zane Lowe and I just couldn't stop myself taking notes on nearly everything he was saying. And I just think that's such a testament to how amazing he is as a writer. So Callum and I are going to get really excited. We're going to nerd out, going to geek out, and we're going to talk about Sob Rock today. So hello, Callum. How you doing, mate? You all right? Good, man. Yourself? Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm feeling blue. I'm feeling moody. And I just love seeing John Mayer back. And I've got so many amazing points that touch on some of the things we've talked about on the show, but also quite a lot of new ones for you guys, which I think is really exciting because some of this stuff can get a bit dry if we're not getting new, new injections of stuff. So Callum, I believe you have a song of the week. I do. Yes. And of course it's off John Mayer's Sob Rock. Of course. This one is definitely my fave of the album. It has been out since about 2019 now, so it is a re-release on the album, but yes. the guitar solo at the end of the song is just insane. Um, and the song is, I guess, I just feel like. Lyrically, it has so much to say. Um, it's a bit of Bob Dylan channeling through this one. I can feel yeah. it. And here for me, the melody just ebbs and flows. It picks you up gently at the start and takes you on this very thoughtful journey through John Mayer's mind and what he was obviously going through at the time, the the current state of the world. And that's very Bob Dinner, isn't it? Like, yeah. Taking the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then it ends just with that incredible John Mayer guitar solo. What I think is the best guitar solo I've heard from him in a long time. And cool. Definitely. Give, give it a listen. I, yeah, I would say, I mean, I have to confess myself, we were going to do a full, like, quote unquote, breakdown of the album, but I just got so excited last night and I haven't even had full time to listen to it. So we're going to come at it from different angles. But my, my song is, again, it, it's one that's been out for not as long, but for a little while now. It's called Last Train Home. And it, it's kind of simple for me. Like, I love what I'm going, to, I'm going to describe as parallel melodies between the synth and the vocal at the start. There's dum you can hear that throughout that kind of interval and also his vocal is kind of following that pattern and to me it just paints this really beautiful simple picture it's a really good idea for people again the weekend does it on um, in your eyes which i spoke about recently and then the chorus mm. the harmonic speed of the chords quickly speeds up and it's, it's almost this weird like pre-blend through into a chorus and i really like that it's almost like an a b a b c b in terms of structure, that being a new section every time you introduce a new letter, I think it's genius. And then this is something that I wanted to talk about. And again, I'm just going down the rabbit hole here with Callum on John Mayer because he did this Berkeley lecture where he talks about something called the dynamic ceiling. And here yeah. he's, he's adhering to it. And he, he's not only set the dynamics per section. So like, again, I talk about this and I think we talked about it right at the start. He uses the whole song as his dynamic paint no paint canvas if you will and it's rising from almost you know a zero all the way up to a nine pushing almost a 10 especially if you watch his live performance so that is really good for people to take take notice of and the hook line you know 
the lyric memory, like as we say on this short-term lyric memory, he throws in last train home end of the chorus. And that's the last thing he leaves you with. That's just really good, really basic and clever writing. And the last one for me on this lovely lyric pairings. So if you listen to his verses, he's got a setup and a payoff as pairs. It's not too cryptic. It's using almost things we're kind of aware of. Again, it's very easy and, and rangy. And we'll talk about why he's done that on this album, but lovely lyric pairings that resolve each other straight away. So that's just a few things. Um, there's loads throughout the album. We'll try and cut the fat and give you the cream off the top of the coffee, as they say. So now, Mink, Callum and I are going to attempt without getting too excited to talk about the album. So did you want to yeah. kick off, Cal? Is there anything you want to shout out first? Um, I actually just wanted to go back to something you just said about yeah. those Berkeley lectures that you brought up with John Mayer were incredible if you haven't seen them. Unbelievable. And something that has still always stuck with me from those lectures was what he said about the customer is always smarter. I mean, yeah, the how world, many times yeah. have we heard that <laughs> And if you're a business student? But it's he says that about a song and he says that about the audience in these lectures and he says how throwing back to one of his earlier albums, Heavier Things... Yeah, he didn't want to. He was the sensitive songwriter, and he didn't want. He didn't to be, want daughters to come out, right? Yeah, he didn't want that <laughs> song to come out because he's like, I don't want yeah. to be pigeonholed as this guy that writes these songs. And he he thought "Come Back to Bed" was his going to be his next big yeah. big song, and everyone was he was going to drop that, and the world was going to explode. Yeah. yeah, it just went nowhere, and that to to him, and then someone somehow daughters got out there, and it went massive, won him a Grammy, and that was sort of his like. Oh, you know, the, the customer always knows better. You know, you just can't always right. What, yeah, what you think is going to be successful in it's the true. case of maybe daughters, John, maybe, maybe it wasn't that John Mayer didn't know it was a good song. He just was apprehensive about releasing it. And we, yeah, we just spoke about this because it's almost the reason why we're doing this podcast is because we can't pretend that we know what you guys want to hear about. You might want to hear breakdowns of every album in our perspectives this is popular, we'll keep doing it. But this is something we thought we'd try and let's see how it goes. But it's like Callum saying, do what, I don't know, you can never know. So you've got to be, got to be varied. And John Mayer makes a much better point of this as we go forward. So again, love what he does. If you guys are into this kind of thing as we are, I reckon I probably started the siege for this podcast almost five years ago when I found these Berkeley lectures when I was, I was at university. So mm. I'm loving going to this. Right, first point. This one is really basic and really boring, but I love that he mentioned it right up front and it's sitting down and writing in your space. So I've taken a lot of this from the Zane Lowe interview with John and they're in his writing and recording room. And I just love the fact that John was like, okay, I've been sat in here for hours and hours and hours, not fully knowing the things I've been writing and coming up with, but I've been sitting down, putting my time in and working in a space. And he says, you have to show up. Sometimes it's gold and sometimes it's just the next brick in the road. As I was thinking, you know, sometimes these ideas get you really excited and sometimes you just kind of, I don't know what this is, but he's sitting down and he's making this album. And I think to hear that from someone of his level is, is super important. And it fills up my inspiration meter every time I kind of check in with someone who I, I think is almost, almost a genius. I think he may think that himself too, which may be the problem, but um, I think he's amazing. So yeah, that, that's my kind of first block of feeling. And what I really liked as well, for, for, for those of you guys that maybe don't want to think in such a cerebral way, he said, if someone shows you a new idea or you, you play back your idea, do you think, okay, got it? Or do you think, 
ooh, do you feel it? Do you go, oh, wow, do I feel something when I hear this? And his example was he sends ideas back and forth with Sean Mendes and again, littered with advice because they've got a really good, honest working relationship. And we talk about relationships, not networking on this show. So relationships. And he says, sometimes I'll send each other ideas and sometimes it's, okay, cool. I've got your idea. Not bad. And then sometimes you just get a feeling you get an, Ooh, you get like a, Oh, wow. So we can talk about how we do that with emotional deep diving and things like that. But I just thought those, those bunch of ideas right at the start were, were awesome. Yeah. And I love that. I love how much respect other artists as well seem to have for JM, like what you were just talking about. And they, they seem to, you know, he's got that show current moves that he does on this little YouTube. I, I don't know whether it's an Instagram or YouTube show. I watch it on YouTube and he gets, he gets other artists on the show. I yes. think he wants to be a talk show host. Yeah. yeah. But among many things. <laughs> yes. And he's, he's a very funny guy as well. And he gets, these guys on, uh, he gets other artists. He's had Little Nass on there. He's had Charlie Poof, Shawn Mendes, yes. and I need to find he gets song. all these guys on these uh, on the show to talk about their music. They jam, um, they sing their songs, they sing his songs, and he's. I love how much respect a lot of these artists seem to have for John Mayer. They grew up listening to him, yeah, and he also shows them respect. You know, he's also very. You know, again, it's a collaborative industry, and I really enjoy watching this and seeing getting this insight to to these guys lives to what they're doing and again what you talk about it, it's so good for an inspiration meter for a young songwriter to oh, watch huge. watch this yeah uh, yeah I, yeah I, I totally agree with you and um i remember watching it in university we, we were living together i think our first year and i was going to university and i thought cool great but then i found these lectures of john Mayer and i was like oh someone actually wants to talk about this how i want to hear it and maybe they're just they're just a bit further ahead over the water but I think that's amazing. Um, so having great relationships, again, I'm going to have to restrain myself from trying to do a recap during a recap episode, but I just think there's so many great points that again, if you guys are interested, I'm happy to share notes and stuff. The next one, John Mayer's definition of writer's block, which before you even answer the question, I knew he was going to bring something cool. And we talk about editor and creator on this show and he named them as reader and writer. And he said, when you have writer's block, it's not that you're not writing because he says you sit down and you work, but he's saying it's when the reader is not in love with the writer. That meaning when you write something and you're sitting in front of your piano or you play it back, you hear it and you're not excited. You're not into it. So you're writing. That's agreed. But there's a block because you're not in love with what you're doing. And I think finding a way to get excited about your own work, we've talked about how we can do that, but I just love the way he described it. And then next point, because I've got about a million. There's so, again, so many things it's worth checking out this interview. Knowing when you're connected, when you need to sit back. To me, that was really well made. And hopefully some people have got that off the bat. But if you haven't, it's knowing when you need to go and sit down in your writer's room and put the time in. And when actually you're just drawing blanks before you've even gone in. This is not to say excusing yourself from trying to work hard, but just he said, He's getting better as he gets older and knowing when he's just not going to write something. And then when he knows he needs to sit down, he needs to work. So that's an interaction with this point of sitting down and turning up. Yeah. So that's another little bunch of questions, points, sorry, I think are really cool. The next set of points, which I'm trying to group in some way that you guys can take a breath and take this in, but subverting and creating on top of your ideas, which when you read it or when you hear it, doesn't make that much sense. But I think if you listen to the song, Why You Know Love Me, 
And he's talking about subverting the idea as, okay, you're, you're writing a song, you're creating it. But what he's done is he's, he's taken this song and he's written it from the perspective of his kind of three-year-old self that he's learned these words, why you no love me. But he's subverting his own song idea and craft. He's clearly put a lot of time into writing this idea and making it work. But what can you add on top of your songs? That's my question. What can you do instead of just writing a song and going, great, what can you do to just make it more interesting, make it more of an angle for people, something they haven't heard in a way they might not be expecting? What can you do that's really clever, that actually gets to the crux of the problem and just gives people the thing for them to do what they want to do with it, but give them the emotion, give them the excitement? That is really clever and actually quite hard to do, but we will touch on that a little bit later. This next one was a bit of a kind of concept check for me, but completely new as well. And I haven't heard it. And that's why I'm really excited about it. So I'm going to put my own plaster on it, but it's going to be called writing a song to fill the universe or to fill a glass of water. And it's going to be something probably going to have to go into again. But the way he explained it is that, like we said just now, if you're really cerebral, you're trying to write something for this, for this, for this. Okay. I want to write that big song for the whole world. That's what John, John May was saying. I want to write that heartbreak song for the whole world. And if you're trying to feel the, the universe, you end up with these really broad, almost generic and not really that profound strokes. But he said, what about instead of trying to put the world into the whole, you know, put your song into the whole space of the world, the universe, he said, why don't you think about how can you get your song to fill a glass of water? And that meaning, how can you write something really contained, visible, that people can just understand and relate to? And he said, if you find that you can fill your song, sorry, if you can fill a glass of water with your song, you'll probably have the whole world in that glass of water. And what he means by that is you write a song, again, simply, effectively, with profound ideas. And this is not an easy thing to do, otherwise everyone would be doing it. But if your goal is to write something whole and complete, for example, your experience of a certain thing in your life, that is going to be so relatable to so many people instead of trying to write something that's relatable to everyone. Um, I just think that lovely idea. So I'm just going to try and explain it again for those of you that, for those of you who've got it, brilliant. But again, don't try and fill up the universe with your ideas. Fill a glass of water and a picture that globe is, has it got everything? Has it got my characters? Has it got my lyric? Has it got my hook? Has it got everything self-contained and really interesting? And then yeah. you just leave it. Yeah. I think the science did really well on the song. Shouldn't matter, but it does. For me, it's probably one of the most well-written songs on sub rock. Yeah. And, you know, it's very simple. It doesn't, again, it fills the glass. It's not, he's not trying to appeal yes. to the whole universe. He's got his hook and it's very simple. And the way in which he ties this hook in so that you know that it's coming before <laughs> it does, you know, it's very clever. You just, you still want to just keep listening to the song. And there is a real, you know, there's a real lack of percussion throughout the song, but again, it's, it's filling all it needs to fill. Exactly. Filling what it needs to fill. And mm. I think for another example for you guys that maybe are switching off or struggling with this is Adele, Sam Smith. What do these people have in common? They sang their story or Amy Winehouse even, they sang their story and everyone just got it because it was so clear as to what they were saying or what they were singing about. Everyone can just get it. But for themselves, they don't have to get it as Amy Winehouse, Sam Smith or Adele. They just get it. And, and you know, filling that glass is really cool. And 
And actually something else that was really well um, put and, and it relates to what you just said, Callum, is Zane Lowe said, I can tell, as Callum said, certain songs are really well written. I think we can come to assume that. That is the magic that we're trying to crack open in this podcast. But he said, John, you have a beautiful song in front of you. Instead of trying to step all over it and be the star, you sang in awe of the song. You didn't try and over deliver. You sang in awe of the song, meaning you paid it the respect it was due in the way you performed it. And I think that is so clever in a world where we are being like bombasted with everything, like people doing their best all the time and they can blasting belting vocals and stuff, but which is great, obviously. But just can you sit back and deliver the song as a performance? Like we talked about with Last Train Home, can you build it from start to finish? Can you add in nuances and, and extra things? Um, which is kind of controversial to what we talk about on this show sometimes because we try and talk about the tips and tricks and skills, but only in a way to give you the best attempt at your own authentic songs. Yeah, and that's the, that's a really well good way of putting it is use the tips and tricks. The tips and tricks and everything is there to help you be your best authentic self. That might just be our website headline now. <laughs> yeah. This one is a bit of a just a little fanboy loving lyrics, which just, again, people bear with me if you're in for this, for the techniques and, and the craft. This is not really going to be that, but I just heard John talking about this lyric and Zane, Zane Lowe picked out this lyric in the interview and said, I want to pick this one out because I hope I don't get this wrong, but it's hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, you're dead to me. Hurt me three times, your family. Mm. And I, and it's, it's very rare because I, thankfully, I, a lot of my job, a lot of my time is spent looking at lyrics and trying to do a good job myself. But it's very rare you just hear something like that and just go, just incredible on, on so many levels. You're taking something people know and you're reworking it. That's a really good one to do. He's done that in Last Train Home. You're describing something that could be written in tens of thousand word essays, but you're doing it in, in 10 lines or a sentence. And it's just a really lovely sentiment. It's not a great one. He talked about creating bonds with scar tissue and being about talking about companionships that are formed, which have these long lasting relationships, but they're negative. So it's talking about being careful who you actually spend time with, because you might find yourself growing closer to someone because you're actually just hurting each other all the time. And that brings you closer. So mm. that was my little nerd out um, mm. because I just thought those lyrics were incredible. I probably got them wrong, but go and listen to the album. Obviously, we're just the secondhand source. I think that's something. Songwriting is is therapy. It's to Hell a lot yeah. of people, and Should therapy be. isn't always rosy daisies singing in the sunshine. Like it, it's not, yeah. or it's not the aftermath where you suddenly get it and there's the light bulb moment. Like ther- therapy's tough, and and you've got to overwork stuff. It's overcoming stuff, and it's it's working through stuff. Do a leaper, I think, spoke about it recently, where she said writing a song feels like running a marathon, and I have to find that. That's I have to find that. You should feel when you've written something really, really meaningful and really, really that you that you're really proud of. You should feel like you've just run a marathon. You should feel like you've just gone through a, an eight hour therapy session, yeah, because you've you've di- dissected all these meaningful things in your life, all these, these probably are very difficult things to confront. And I know I've been in a few sessions where some people don't want to do that. They are afraid that they want to talk about the cusp. And I, I think you can still get great stories from that, but you, I think you do need to be willing to, if you, if you don't want to tell your own stories, you need to be prepared to inject your real experiences into those stories. 
Yeah, even if there's someone else's. Like, yeah. Or like we're saying, if you're writing for someone else, like you've got a target in mind, the best thing you can do is fill a small glass with your own experience mm. in a really authentic way and then hand it to them and they can assess it themselves. Yeah, like, and also as well, your point about having run a marathon. Again, this show, hopefully, we may have said it before, but this is not shortcuts. This is hopefully like just giving you the best trainers for your marathon, giving you the best hydration, you know, all that kind of thing. We're not trying to shorten the marathon for you. We're just trying to make it as easy as it needs to be. Hopefully, again, we're finding this out as we do this. Yeah. And that's the other thing on making yourself vulnerable um, in songwriting is no one's going to make fun of you. You know, no one's going to laugh at you and say, oh, that's, respect it. that's really, you know, stupid or that's really, man, you're, you're really weak. So many John Mayer lines that I've connected with and why he's one of my favorite artists of all time is because they they are so vulnerable because they yeah, they man. are so they put them in a, such a fragile place and it's like oh wow I've been there and I've experienced that in some way or another and I think that's actually people are going to see you as so strong for opening up and saying those absolutely kinds of things. and if people don't say that then unfortunately I think you're working with the wrong people because like you'll find as we talk to more and more people being vulnerable and being being able to do that is really respected and, and welcomed in, in professional songwriting sessions. So mm. don't worry if you've got those a-holes that are making it hard for you, you'll find your people with these, you know, what we're talking about, but that's a great point. I, I love that. And again, this, this is, there's just two more chunk, two or three more chunks I really want to get into. So thank you guys for sticking with this. And hopefully we've got this hybrid of what's going on and what we love, but also we're trying to hammer home some really important points. If you want to make songwriting easier for yourself. This is this touches on something of a myth that I've heard before, which is the dirty pipe as a songwriting myth, if you will. And I think it's Ed Sheeran who's popularized it is that when you write a song, even if it's a bad one, you have to finish it because you have to get all the dirty water out of the pipe. And I thought, okay, we'll leave that for another day. But John Mayer talks about here, sitting down, often you sit down and you write an idea for an album, for an EP, for a pitch, whatever. And the first one is a pipe cleaner. I just, I'm kind of going to leave that one to you guys, because I think that's just a really interesting idea because it's not always true. You might write something and the first one you write is really exciting and brilliant, but be prepared. That might just be the first one that gets you back into the groove. And then he moves on to a couple of tips, which I thought were really cool for assessing your own songs. Again, he's not done this and said, you know, this is for the listeners of this podcast, but this is what I'm gleaning from it. So by all means, check out the interview yourself, but do you believe this song? Do people believe your song? Are you overreaching? Another really nice point. I want to leave some of this to you guys because you're probably far more advanced than, again, like we said, you can't assume that anyone knows more or less than you do until you've met them. But he also said, give your songwriting a soft touch. I think that relates to being in awe of your song when you perform it, understanding if it's good and stepping back and then trying to subvert it, be clever. But soft touches here. I'm not trying to go crazy. I'm not doing anything that's going to be too out there because people won't get it you're trying to paint the universe then instead of filling a glass so they're really cool and again i think callum's gonna have a point on this one but he said on a certain song he wanted exactly a certain sound from his childhood so 80s we're talking here and he wanted like a particular player on the keys so getting the best people to come and play on your records that you can get hold of within your budget and your your network if you will so I think Callum's got a couple more points in that, but just getting the best people that are possible to come and visualize, realize your dreams. 
Yeah. Getting the best people is key to, if, if you want to establish a certain sound, I think a lot of, especially with a lot of young writers, there's a word that's been popping up a lot for me recently, and that's idealism. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of young songwriters, myself included, I still, I'm still guilty of this and they'll see an, an artist like Billie Eilish is a great example. We were talking about it earlier at John Mayer as well with this, this recent yep. album is because he set out to, you know, I'm going to write an album called Sob Rock and it's going to be about, it's going to have all this influences of my, the music I listened to growing up and was saying, you know, who, who does that? And John Mayer does that because he's yeah. at that level where he, you know, one, he's at that level where he can do that, but he knows how to do that in a way that, you know, he, again, he, he'll reach out to the best people. I think he had one of the drummers from Toto drafted in and Don Wass is his producer um, who's worked on some of the all-time great albums. He, John Mayer himself is a massive geek. He knows a lot of the recording, the best ways to capture certain guitar tones that reflect Dire Straits, yeah. Bruce Springsteen, all, all of his favorite artists um, from Freddie King and, and some of the best blues uh, guitarists in history. And that's where the, going back to the idealism is when you're a young songwriter, it really, it's so much about what, you, what are you trying to achieve as a writer? If it's to write the best music you can and have fun with your mates, do it. And who knows where you might end up. You could end up becoming, you might strike gold. And you might be the next Beatles. Yeah, literally. But if you're looking, if you're not looking at the charts and you're not studying what's popular and you're not, you're not listening to the tips and all the amazing tools that are out there and available to you as a songwriter. And again, taking in, taking on board the advice of session musicians, if, if when it comes time to record the song, leaning on the experience of the producer and the other people that are potentially working, because there are people out there that know how things work. They know if you want to get a hit on radio, this is what you need to do. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. And I think to kind of, to lay it out as Callum's saying is we're not saying that we know the answers to this podcast. Our point is we're going to bring you the left and the right, extreme left and extreme right of each argument. So yes, yeah, sit in your room and write songs just for you because there will people, there will be people that love it and you go and play a show and you might well get a following. And that is really cool. And then the other side of it is if you go far too close to all the trends and, and far too similar to everything you hear on radio, again, that's really impressive because it's high level stuff, but are you really going to be making a difference? Are you bringing anything new? We're saying find your ground alongside that and go, all right, well, I'm going to do something really cool. Like John's saying, like, hi, I have a great song, but I'm going to subvert it with this really cool production. And I do it in a way that I think is really awesome. Yes, there are people that have been prepared and they found the right opportunities and they've soared to fame. And then they say, oh yeah, I just did what I wanted to do. That's not strictly true. But again, we're trying to give you guys this balance, this world to live in, this, this, this way of critical thinking that doesn't get in the way of your creativity, but just helps you guide it. I think a really good point from the interview. And again, talking about Sobrock and what Callum's just said is John Mayer thought of it as a film. He said, I haven't got a new album. I've got a new script. He said he went to see some films and that really kind of got to him. And he said, okay, how do I best, like Callum saying, how do I best realize this song? Is it me sitting and scratching away with these, again, wonderful musicians? Or do I go, you know what? That song in the eighties was by this guy. And I might just ask him, we're not in positions to do that, but he can pull in these people and literally get exactly what they need to get. And just be thinking like a director going, I've got these 10 scenes. They're brilliant. I love them. How do I make them as, as good as I can? And again, as a, as a director, 
within your budget? Who do you know? What can you actually afford? And he made another really good point in terms of songwriting in general, not bringing in new scenes that don't make sense. Don't bring in a scene from another film, even if it's the best scene from another film. Are you going to bring it into your album? Are you going to bring a new section into your song? That might be a great section, but does it fit your song? Is it getting in the way? And I think there's an analogy to be worked in that sense as well between films and, and songwriting. But yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for considering your options. And again, idealism can be a problem, but we're just trying to, we're just trying to lay it out for you guys and, and be helpful. I think that goes back to something that we talked about on Luke Potter's episode, where if you're in this industry, you're in it 100%. So if you set out on a mission, like, yeah. okay, you know, and my, my mission at the moment is to create the best album I can, and this is, this is the kind of album I'm going to do. So it might be, I want to make an album uh, like Limp, Limp Biscuits back to front. And okay, that's awesome. But yeah. let's, again, let's, let's not just do it, do it our way, do it right. Do it right. Because you want people to hear it. And it's like, again, um, thanks Jan in, in the band. He's pointing this out to me, but there's a guy called Rip Momney. I think he did a really well-received cover of Put Your Records On by Karim Bailey Ray. And what he did is, again, he didn't half-ass it. He didn't just do a cover and put some nice Rhodes keys and his nice vocals over it. He tried to subvert the idea. He threw in some modern production techniques. He sang it in a way that was kind of automated and use of melody. And it's like, like, like we're saying... We're not saying you have to do anything a certain way, but if you're going to do something, do it well. Otherwise, what can you really expect? Um, but that's, that's really cool. So that's idealism in a way and the left side, the right side. And I'm sure there's another element to it, but there's one more kind of overarching thing, which I think will sum up why this episode has been quite long and quite messy. And in the same respect, why that is part of what we're trying to do here. We're, we're not trying to be too clinical. We're trying to give you ideas so you can go and do it. And John Mayer and Zane Lowe, to close, they were talking about if their song was a dish, it would be a simple pasta dish with the right amount of oil and seasoning and a bit of cheese and you just serve it. This is what a great song is. And that's what comes out of the kitchen. Then John made the point. But if you go in the kitchen, there's, it's an absolute mess. There's stuff all over the walls. You know, there's people screaming and shouting at each other. Things are broken. But that's the process of writing songs. All of that in the kitchen, that mess is learning how to do it, finding the resources, collaborating, getting things wrong, making mistakes. That's what happens. But then the microcosm of what comes out are these ideas you've loved and put all of your body into and don't, you've done it right. And if people don't like your dish, that's fine, but it's the best example of that dish you can provide. And that's what we're trying to go for with this show yeah. and this meta episode. And what you should be aiming for with all your songs, you know? Yeah, yeah, even if it's the most beautiful carbonara in the world. It doesn't have to be that, that complicated, but if you nail it, people are going to turn up and they're going to eat it. So there's a lot. I mean, like I said, I, I messaged Callum last night, I think. I said, Callum, we have to do a Sob Rock episode because I just have to get this out of me. And so I really think that a lot of this stuff we discovered we're going to be using in future and, and I'm definitely going to be using for other things we have in, in the future of this podcast. So thank you guys for sticking with us. This is our kind of experimental episode, but we're going to be doing plenty of this. And, you know, we've had some incredible guests that we can't wait to get out into the pipeline as well. So thank you so much for listening as ever. We're going to be putting as much as we can in descriptions. Um, we're going to be getting everything going. So any questions you have, get in touch with us. You know where to go. Thank you so much. And 
keep doing it. To find out more about us and to get in touch, please head over to I Wish I Knew That Pod on Instagram. And don't forget to join the conversation on our Facebook community. Please also remember to email your questions about songwriting to I Wish I Knew That Pod at gmail.com. And we will answer these on our upcoming episodes. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this, we would really love it if you could give it a share or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And Jamie and I will talk to you on the next episode.